So I'm here to learn, and I'm here to to just be in this amazing environment that we've created for ourselves. And sometimes I think we are stuck in this struggle mentality that we've been taught. Right? She was telling me, you know, I can't identify with that because I've been taught to be angry, and rightfully so. How could you not be angry? Right? <laughs> But I think you have to also have the other side of the coin, where be like, no, because if you don't want to spend a whole lifetime angry,、mm-hmm. because that's going to get in the way of where you need to go, where you want to go. Yo, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to a Pretty Normal Podcast. I am your host Xavier Diaz. Quick reminder that we have started streaming the interviews live on YouTube and Facebook, which gives you the opportunity to join the conversation and ask questions to all of the amazing guests that come on the show. So please make sure you follow us on all of our social media handles so that you get updated every time we go live, and we do it quite often. And I want to see you there. In this episode, I am joined by the art engineer Luis Martin, host of the podcast Studio Confessions. Luis is a personal favorite of the show and an all-around amazing person. He was the first featured guest on the Pretty Normal Day series, which I highly suggest everyone go watch on YouTube. Because in that video, Luis takes us into his studio and shows us what a pretty normal day looks like for him, and it was an amazing, amazing, amazing time filming that with him. I knew this interview was going to be great because Luis is a walking, living book of inspirational quotes. I swear, everything he says sounds so uplifting, and I'm always super excited to have him come on the show. In our conversation, we discuss his recent trip to Merida, Mexico, how that's influenced his art. Uh, there, he hosted his own art show, which was an amazing experience that we got to talk about. We discuss finding the balance between staying consistent and taking breaks from your creative work, which I think is very important since everybody's been home trying to juggle multiple tasks.、Uh, whether or not art school is necessary, copyright laws when it comes to collaging, what he would like to change in the Latinx culture, and more. Make sure to subscribe to a pretty normal podcast so you get notified every time a new episode drops. This show can be found on Spotify, Google, Apple, all podcast streaming platforms. Subscribe and please leave us a review and a five star rating. It helps get the show out. Word of mouth is super important. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at a pretty normal, and make sure you subscribe on YouTube. If you enjoy the free content and the interviews I produce, I kindly ask you to go check out the website www.aprettynormal.com. Check out the merchandise that we have on there. We have plenty of stuff always coming. Without further ado, my name is Xavier Diaz, and you're now listening to a Pretty Normal podcast. You're listening to a pretty normal podcast, a show that highlights the fascinating stories and thought-provoking moments that make up our lives. My name is Xavier Diaz, and I want to hear your story. Are joined by Luis Martin, the art engineer, host of Studio Confessions. It is great to have you on, and welcome. How have you been? I feel like it's been a while since we've talked formally like this on an interview style, but we talk every now and then on phone. But there's still always so much to to converse about every time that we we get the chance to actually speak. How are you? I'm great. I'm you know I'm, I'm doing really well, all things considered.、Uh, keeping my head up. 
Hey, and how long have you been back in the United States? Because you documented it. You were you went to Merida, Mexico during yeah. the pandemic. So how long has it been since you've been back? You know, we got back in uh, December 1st, so I guess almost two months. Uh, hey. Such a crazy experience. It really changed my life in many ways. Yeah, you came back to the to the freezing cold. I'm surprised you didn't keep extending it. You know, we would have, but uh, but we had to come take care of some stuff. But it was it was amazing. It really, really was. I highly recommend mm. people to once you can, it's easier to travel uh, to the home country. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And so I'm actually rocking. I don't know if you could see it here, but oh, I yes. have my my custom uh, art engineer button. It is in support of Black Lives Matter. You gave this to us when we first met, which was at the end of 2019. And so I wanted to ask you, do you think you personally have changed in any way since the pandemic started? And since like, it's been almost a year now, uh, I think in March, we'll, we'll hit a year of like full pandemic. But do you think you yourself has changed in any way? Oh, yeah, huge. Um, so I mean, to tie to your pin and when I met you guys, right, we met under normal circumstances. But the fact that you as an artist with your wife makes collages were in this very small group of people shocked me. I was like, wait a minute, like this is cosmic, right? Like, <laughs> like God, to be. the universe, goddess put you there and we had to meet. Um, and that surprised me. The way the pandemic has, has changed me is that I'm no longer surprised by these amazing things that are happening, right? So like I said, I just came back from Mexico. I had a show there. And just like I met you, I the pandemic has really given me faith to realize that, you know what, there's good people out there and you're going to meet them if you keep your your eyes open, your heart open. And I met tons of great people who made that show possible, you know, mm -hmm. who made an, an art show in a city where I knew nobody. And all of a sudden here I have a, a solo show. So the pandemic has really given me kind of hope or like, oh, yeah, no, people are still out there. You know, people you want to if you want to help people, people want to help you. Mm. And I think more now than ever, people miss like those social gatherings and places where they can just be around people like lockdowns really do have this isolationist like uh, uh, just feel where it's like you are cut off from a lot of people, especially here in the city where you don't have a yard, you don't have any space. It's like you're just in your apartment and that's it. So I imagine people are yearning to get back to those type of social events once it's safe. And what an adrenaline rush to have a, an art show in a different country where you just landed. Like, that's amazing. So can you tell me about how that was and how it ended up like you even planning to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, so I, like I said, I've been stretching my, my chops a little, right? For a while now. I had a show in Italy a few years ago. I went to Colombia and was able to do that. Uh, so this time I really didn't have anything planned, but I kind of, knew that good things could happen if you kind of just plant the seeds everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. And I met people through my podcast that I wanted to interview, genuinely make these great connections with uh, just beautiful people. Mm -hmm. And um, and one of them happened to have a cultural center called La Casa Casa. Mm -hmm. And I had an art show and I it was a city that my, where my father was born, uh, but I didn't have any family there. So when I went there and discovered that I actually did have family there and connected with them, like it was just, like a really surreal experience that kind of culminated in this exhibit. Mm, that's awesome, man. And like to be in another country and to do an art gallery, does it take a lot of work? Like, do you need to know people like for anybody who who maybe once things are safe to travel again and they want to do it? What, what advice do you give? So 
expectations like i i do not go i didn't go to mexico with an expectation of like okay i'm gonna go to staples and print out labels i'm gonna go to you know i'm gonna make a collage with books that i find no you kind of have to go with no expectation and doing with what you find right because if i go to cambodia expecting to put a show together uh it's not going to go the way that i planned for instance in merida mexico the humidity is off the charts so mm-hmm. literally the paper would pucker you know oh, so yeah. i had to i had to think about that there mm-hmm. were no staples so i had to find a um i had to find a place to do the labels mm-hmm. and labels aren't you don't call labels labels in spanish so i had to think how do you say labels in spanish how i do honestly you- don't know yeah exactly right? <laughs> i would say some spanglish labales Exactly. And I thought I spoke Spanish, but you go to Mexico, you go to Colombia and they're like, oh, no, that's Spanish. It's those little words that you never, ever use here. Exactly. Uh, So I think the biggest tip is, you know what, go with an open heart and open minded, really, because you can't you can't use your measuring stick to measure your expectations somewhere else. You know, and what about like actually like finding a place to host it? Like, is that difficult? You know, no. So. Speaking specifically to our New York artists, the fact that you're in New York and you're an artist has a lot of weight, right? Even if you're just making stick figures, the fact that you have the resilience to be able to do that in New York City and mm-hmm. put all of the weight that that has, um, people are interested, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think if you go to a city, even if you go to a small town in, you know, Pennsylvania, the fact that you're a New York artist, people's ears perk up. So mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, I think the most important thing, just like any finding any opportunity, is that you're aligned. You know, your your missions are aligned. The Casa Casa was very they're very interested in Latino culture, in Mexican culture, and I was this Mexican uh, American kid or not kid man who was making uh, collages about his identity. Mm-hmm. So it, we aligned, and I think mm-hmm. that's really important to keep in mind. That is super important, and isn't that so interesting? The the once like you say, New York City. Anywhere in the world, people's ears perk up because it's like New York City. I think it has a lot to do with like media and how it's in like all the films and stuff. And people really have that dream of like, I want to get to New York City one day. And then it's like us, we live here. We definitely take advantage. Like, like I don't go to Times Square. There's a lot of New York things that I don't do. But to like around the world, if you say New York City, it comes with this like badge of honor. Completely. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's well warranted, but at the same time, it's very, uh, it's kind of like Disneyland, you know? Mm-hmm. I met uh, I met a friend who uh, who came and she showed me all of her pictures and she was like, oh, look, I took a picture in front of where they filmed Serendipity, where Sex and the City took place, mm-hmm. where Home Alone. <laughs> so it's it, like you said, it's this reference to Hollywood. It's mm-hmm. completely different to the New York that you and I live, for instance. Mm-hmm. No? For sure. It's like an export. They literally exported the idea of New York City to the world and were like, this is like where you got to get to. This is the place. And you were definitely not vacationing because you were putting in the work like it wasn't like a vacation you were really really living there so what was the initial thought process when you were like let's go to 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 mexico because yeah it's it's you could have stayed here you definitely could have thought like you know it's probably safer to just stay in the united states with like you know at any point maybe the airports will shut down and we're stuck there but like you made that choice so what was that like so honestly i think we were planning to go to Medellin for a very long time um, and then and just got to a point where, <laughs> honestly, for mental health reasons, I had to leave, you know, I really felt 
because I, I'm really good about kind of processing things. I know when things are not good for me and I know when things are good for me. And I think it got to the point where I could no longer cognitively uh, justify, why am I here in this country right now? Like, if I can leave, I'm going to leave. Uh, because it was a lot, you know, it, like I said, it was, uh, we left October 1st and things were, were horrible, you know? Uh, so I, we did all we could to go, we left. We were there, we were going to be there for a month. And then when the, the month was almost up, we're like, we should extend it, why not, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and really, I can't express how light I felt to be around so many people who look like me without the anxiety of having this American context, mm. you know? And I, I really recommend that to all of the, you know, POC people. If you can go to a place where you feel at home and don't have the context of you are less than because you're Mexican, black, whatever, you, you realize, oh wait, this is so limited. This is like, but a fraction of the world, of the universe, get yourself out of this context and everything changes, right? Mm. But, and, and like you like you mentioned, we were so tempted to stay longer, but my husband's father and his family is here. So we wanted to spend Christmas and needed to do the math of how much quarantine we needed to do so we can spend Christmas together. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it, I think it does become hard when you have family to, to be kind of selfish in the, I need to take care of myself or else I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing honorable about everybody going crazy together. You know no. what I mean? Put the <laughs> for yourself first and then help others. Hey, yeah. I like that a lot. And it, you, you mentioned this in, in your podcast where you saw this, I think on the airplane where it was kind of just mm -hmm. like, if you take care of Mexico, uh, you'll take care of us or something, something along those lines. If you could speak on that. Yeah, I mean, on the way back, it was just so right, right off the bat, right when on the plane right from New York to Mexico City, there were people without masks. You know, they were and, and they kept saying the PA, please wear your mask, mm -hmm. not for yourself, but for you know the, the flight attendants. Um, and there was a struggle from Mexico City to Merida. Uh, everybody was wearing a mask and a shield. We were the ones that didn't have a. a a shield right mm -hmm. and we, we felt like oh wow these people are really taking it seriously like we're like are they overdoing it are we underdoing it so when we got to the city everything was very tight right like everyone had to wear a mask everyone had to take their temperature when they went into a, a place they had to wash their hands they had to step on a, on a disinfecting mat um so they took it seriously and they reaped the benefits now it's not as uh, as, as, as scary so when we came back, they were giving these little packets, individualized packets of sanitizer. And it says, si cuidas México, te cuidas a ti. Mm. So meaning, you know, if you take care of, and, and I thought, okay, if I put this in the, in the American context, if you take care of the States, you take care of yourself. Yeah, if you take care of America. Yeah, but we would read that, well, which America, right? Like, your America, <laughs> yeah. my America, Trump's mm -hmm. America. So instantly there's this divisiveness that we are taught, right? That we, that we are taught to kind of view the world. And I think that is the biggest lesson. Like there's so many ways, there's so many different contexts in which we can exist as people, you know, and, and you don't always have to live here in the States. <laughs> yeah, no, that it, it's so true because it, it's like, I think a, a sense of individualism is really, really tried to like just ingrained into us. Like 
which has its good qualities. There's great qualities about, you know, you're an individual and you like create your own destiny and all this. But when it comes to things where it's like we are a collective society, that individualism really screws you over because it's like, no, you can't just think about yourself. You got to think about everyone here. And yeah, it would, it's, it's tough and it sucks that like it, it could it almost couldn't work here. It's just like everybody's like it's pitted against each other and they're so divided and stuff like that. And it would be amazing. I think a lot of people, if they could stay in like their their native countries, um, they would if the opportunities were there. But that's what sucks is that sometimes the safety and the opportunities aren't there. So it's like I have no choice. But I'm sure a lot, a lot, a lot of a lot of Latinx people would love to stay in their home countries because there's just like a sense of, of belonging there that they have where you're not going to get harassed like you do here if you are a Latinx person, but you have to make those, that decision and say, look, the opportunities are just there. And that's what sucks. Have you ever heard of this concept called brain drain? No. So it's like the the thought that like if, if all these like high skilled people leave these countries, how could that country ever get better? Because all of their top skilled people are going to like United States or Canada. And how could that country ever get better? And it sucks because it's like, that's true. But at the same time, I don't fault anybody for making the decision that I got to leave. I got to get my family up and out of here so that we have a chance at life. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I totally get that. And I'm so happy that you say this because, you know, I think sometimes there's so many truths that are really hard to say. And I think that's one of them. Uh, you know, the fact that a lot of people come to this country not by choice. And it's actually because of a, they live in a context that was not created by them. It was created by politicians and imperialism and capitalism that was imposed on them, right? So again, these are ugly truths that are now becoming more commonplace to, to talk about and to understand and, and to be able to say, no, I had nothing to do with that. That's part of colonialism. That's part of capitalism that, you know, and honestly, I think I've come to realize that when I was in Mexico, the I felt like the, the American dream really happens when you go back to your country or when you go back to uh, a place where you feel, where you don't feel that anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're, because you, I live in a, in a fun little building and I'm probably the only, one of the only Latinos there, here. And I think part of it is me, that I feel out of place, but mm -hmm. a lot of it is also, oh, do you work here or do you live here? Mm. because I, I I may look out of place, I may feel out of place. And that might be a vibe that I'm putting out because mm. I live in this context, mm -hmm. right? Um, but yeah, I think that's really, really important. And as far as the, the brain drain, I feel that um, no matter what, you're always really going to need that, that home base because I don't think it's ever completely given here in this country to people who are not white. So mm. you'll always be the other. And that will always leave that person yearning for home. Mm. It's, it's a very interesting conversation. Mm. You're you're first generation born here, right? I am. I'm first generation born here. I... Uh, yeah. Oh no no no! Continue. No, I was gonna say. I, I I mean, my my father and my aunt who kind of raised me were here very early, so I kind of benefited from their early experience in the states, where they spoke the language really fast mm -hmm. and they kind of acclimated to the culture. Mm -hmm. um, but I also had the, the privilege to learn Spanish from them. Um, and that was always you know, kind of very Hey, and a while back, I think I put out like a, a poll and it was two Latinx people that are first generation born here who may have had that 
Latino upbringing at home. But then when they went to public school or whatever type of school that they went to, it was obviously an American centric uh, education. And I think you had said that you were your you were raised a little bit more Latino than you were like American. And that's interesting to me because for me, it's it's kind of the opposite. I think it's like almost a mix. It's like 60 40. But I would love to hear about your experience, like trying to find that identity as being like first generation Latino born in America, where you're like, you know, at home, they might be teaching you Spanish and about like your heritage and all this. But then at school, they're teaching you about a completely different culture. Well, you know, it's really funny. I'm I'm from an older generation, obviously. I'm, I'm 40. Uh, I think you're I, still a millennial, bro. Yeah, right. I feel like a millennial. You are a millennial. I'm okay. almost positive you're a millennial. Uh oh. Well, <laughs> I was I was I went to school in LA, and I'm from a, a neighborhood called Pico Union, and I really did not realize I was Mexican until I left LA, because there it's predominantly Mexican, some Salvadoranian. My stepmother's from El Salvador, um, but it's predominantly Mexican, so the culture is everywhere. Right. And remember, L.A. used to be Mexico. So there's all of these traces of Mexicanismo. Mm-hmm. So when I left and, and got to New York, I realized that, oh, there are other, you know, I I think because also I was raised on Sábado Gigante, which kind of creates this, <laughs> you know, like sameness in Latino-ness mm-hmm. and this kind of like Espanol that's very neutral, which is what I was taught. Um I realized, oh, I'm Mexican specifically, <laughs> you know, like I, I have certain customs. So it was never an issue. But when I came here, I realized that there was variances, but it really made me, uh, it really inspired me. I, I worked for the Museo del Barrio, so I was able to kind of learn about Caribbean culture, about Central American culture, um, Puerto Rican culture, you know, uh, and really see all how much more we are alike than not, right? Mm. And that's always been very empowering to me as as a person. Mm. And I think that's something that like really shines through in the podcast episodes that you have where you just sit down and you speak with people. And even being in Mexico, you were still just meeting people and having great conversations. And that's where you really do see like we are just humans and everything. But for sure, for me, it was a little different. Like I grew up in the suburbs in Long Island of the suburbs of New York, where it was like I still had uh, the Dominican upbringing from my grandma and from my mom and everyone at home. But once I went to school and then once I was with my friends, it was definitely like American. Like my friends are, are white. So like there are little things that I only noticed later on in life. Like they thought my friends thought that I, I smelled funny when I was younger, but it was like the Sasson and stuff. It was just they were not used to those spices. And it's little things like that where you're just like, oh, wow. Like, I guess I did have this like mixed upbringing. And I know for a lot of like other Latinos, it it could be confusing trying to figure that out because I think there's a lot of great things that you can learn from Latinx culture that you could bring over, like the warmness of the people, like the helping, like kind of like what you were saying, where it's like a more collective vibe. And I think that comes from like the household, how it's structured, where you live with your grandparents and like you're not like uh, uh, you're not. not forced, but like kind of pushed to, to move out once you're 18. It's like they have these these households where there's multi-generations and it's very different than than like American culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with me, it was a little different. I, I kind of grew up very isolated. Uh, so I, my friends were kind of like PBS and like old movies. So I was very much cultured by by, uh, by Hollywood. I mean, I was in LA, so it, it was very part of my, uh, it was part of my vernacular, you know, it was mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, but I think the the Latinoness, like you said, comes from the multi-generational 
structure in the house. And and yeah, I mean, my aunt lived with us until she got married, and you know, she was kind of like my mentor. She's my teacher, um, and that was amazing to to be able to learn from them in that way. Uh, and, and you know, and as a, as a kid, even though they spoke the language, I was always a translator for somebody. You know, and that that ingrains in you this like, oh, people need you, and you need people. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, no. Once you're you're that uh, that generation where you're you're born, like you're raised here and stuff, like you are that translator for the family, and that's 100 percent something I could uh, definitely like agree with it and and sympathize with. Uh, is there anything that you think? that you would change from Latinx culture? Like what does our community need to really focus on to, to, to move forward and be better? Because it's obviously easy to talk about like the, the great things about Latinx culture, but like, you know, what do you think we have to work on? Because like off the top of my head, machismo, that's one that I, I could think of. So that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? That's um, a big one. That, that's a big one. I, but I think you're, you're, uh, the generation here is a little bit ahead of the game per se, but I will say, um, I was having a conversation with with, uh, with my sister-in-law last night, actually, and we were talking about um, about about issues in the community. She's African American, uh, and I was explaining to her that that I feel that we're kind of held back by how by this flawed premise that we're that we're taught. And I'm going to go all spiritual on you mm-hmm. that this is it, right? I am Latino and Latino and Latino, and that's it. That's all I am. But honestly, as a person, as a soul, I know that this is but a grain of salt in my existence in the universe. Like I know after I'm gone, I'm not going to have to worry about being discriminated against, being poor, being rich. It's not going to matter. So I'm here to learn and I'm here to, to just be in this amazing environment that we've created for ourselves. And sometimes I think we are stuck in this struggle mentality that we've been taught right she was telling me you know i can't identify with that because i've been taught to be angry and rightfully so how could you not be angry right (laughs) but i think you have to also have the other side of the coin where be like no because if you don't want to spend a whole lifetime angry Mm. because that's going to get in the way of where you need to go where you want to go you know and not everybody wants to go you know but i think if you feel this calling to, to do things like you're doing, like I'm doing, we can get caught up in this, oh, I can't do this because I'm lucky, right? I, and, I, and I struggle with this myself, honestly, because I feel like, wow, I work really hard. I have a podcast. I am a prolific artist. I'm constantly creating and, you know, having conversations, but I'm not where I'd like to be. Mm. And when I go into my dark spaces, I'm like, is it because I'm Mexican? Is it because I'm a brown man? Yes, no, but I I have to decide that for myself. I can't let society tell me, oh, it's because you're brown. That's why you're not the next Anthony Bourdain. That's not. That's why you're not the next Jeff Koons, right? But we are often put in these kind of uh, blinders, like, oh, you can't do that. You, you can't because you're you're black because you're Native American. You have to stay where you're put, you know. And I mean, I left LA, and and that was the biggest lesson of, of leaving the city where I was born. Like, oh, I can literally pick up and create something completely different. Mm -hmm. I can draw myself by books, you know what I mean? So it's, I think that's a big, to me, that's always been something that I've seen in in our POC community. You know, I have um, 
I have five siblings and they're all from different fathers and, and they all have totally different trajectories. And it's interesting to see how our mentalities really di dictate where we go, you know? Wow. Man, you are a, a walking like book of, of inspirational quotes. This is amazing. <laughs> and and because I've interviewed you in the past, I know that you you said that, uh, you know, you have that darkness inside you and stuff. But it's very hard to tell from the outside looking in, like you look like a very happy person. And like, how do you do it? Like, and how did you build up to that? Because I'm sure it was a struggle to get to the point where you are now. But like, it really does not seep through you like to, to, to sit here and talk to you. And then for you to tell me, like, you know, like I am a sad person and, and dark stuff. I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? It's we're all we all it's all a coin, right? We all we have both sides. But um, again, I go back to my aunt who was, was a, an influence when I was a kid. Um, I'll share this really uh, interesting story that I was thinking about recently. Uh, so, like I said, I have siblings that I didn't grow up with. And I had a sister who was physically abused constantly. And I was sharing a story to my aunt about it. And I was playing like sad music, even even as a kid, I was like this drama queen, right? I was playing sad music and I was like, oh, Marie, you know, like my sister, she got hit and it was really bad. She's like, stop it. I want to hear your story, but stop crying, turn off the music and communicate. I was like, what? It, it startled me. I was like, what? I'm like, what a bitch, like what? <laughs> no, it really taught me that I can control my emotions. I can, I can experience this emotion, I can communicate it, but it doesn't have to drown me, you know? And that, honestly, that really changed my trajectory in the fact that, okay, I can see the problem, but it doesn't have to consume me. I can go past it, especially if I'm aware of my emotion, you know? And I think, and I, Tony Robbins talks a lot about that kind of like controlling your emotions and moving past past them um but but i think that is has been such a big lesson that it's so strong in my memory you know like you can you know, even <laughs> i'm from la so earthquakes anytime there was an earthquake i would be like ah but, <laughs> but this woman was like relax uh. <laughs> you know so i was like forget it i'm moving to new york but it was such a great lesson you know like okay keep keep your emotions in check and and you really could overcome anything Wow. Well, you do it great. And it, it's really incredible to, to speak with you because every time I, I talk to you, it's just like so motivational. And to to know that you uh, are someone like that, you say that you have sadness and you deal with sadness and darkness and to see you like still triumphing the way you are, like it's amazing and it's, it's really inspirational. And I want to get into so you had a ton of great comments. We did a pretty normal day where you invited me to your studio. I got to see your collage process. We got to have a great uh, conversation. That video in recent days has had plenty of comments and I want to show you some because I think you really deserve them, man. Like it's it's just amazing the things that people out there have, uh, have been saying. So let me just share this and just read off some of these great comments. So Shout out Sherry Lee. Oh, what a beautiful soul. What a dear friend he would be like. And I was honored. I was like, I am his friend. <laughs> you too much. I love it. And then uh, so shout out Tony Bradshaw. You're an amazing person and artist. I am a 71 year young self-taught artist. Most people don't really get my art, but I'm in my happy place when I am creating. On another note, what substrate do you use? Paper, canvas, board. Keep your joyous spirit. Your life experiences only enrich your work. <laughs> that's amazing you've had some great comments on there if you want to answer what what so what do you use for those that don't know your your collage process what what is that like so i 
collect everything and everything and anything. I'm a hoarder. Um, so actually, I'll show you. I have like clips from yearbooks. <laughs> I have, you know, I have uh, half-made collages all over the place. So I'm constantly collecting things, and I have things that inspire me everywhere. So there's no need to get inspired. Um, so I predominantly use paper, but my substrate, I use. Um, uh, in this case, I have it right here. Bristol. <laughs> I use Bristol. Bristol. Hey. And, um, Is that thicker? Yeah, it's a lot thicker. And also, I don't use glues because I can't stand puckering, which is why Mexico was so hard for me. Mm -hmm. Even though I, I was working really hard, but it was really hard. So I use adhesive squares. So ah. just keep things together nice and neat. Um, sometimes puckering is good when it adds texture. But for me personally, I really like to keep it smooth. So I use that paper with the adhesive squares. That is really good advice because yeah, when I use like a glue stick and I've tried, I've tried glue sticks, I've tried glue like the liquid and all of it wrinkles up and oh, at the end you're just like, oh. It's the worst. I mean, if it's thick paper, you can get away with the glue stick. Mm -hmm. But uh, but again, I think it's, there is no right or wrong. I think if you can roll with it, then the puckering can become a texture and a style. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I really need the crisp and clean. Hey, yeah, that's amazing. And it just becomes preference. And it, it seems like every time you sit down to do like one of your collage hangouts in one of your live uh, uh, streams, you always finish a collage. Has there ever been a time like you don't finish one? Like, it seems like you really just bang them out. It, it's amazing. I, I oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm not always happy with them. But you know what? I Someone recently reached out and told me, you know, thanks. Thanks for not making a good one because it feels really good that you've owned up to the fact that it doesn't always come out and that's okay right mm -hmm. so yeah sometimes they're hideous um and that's cool because i feel that you have to make ugly work to get to the good work you know mm -hmm. and you're usually not live so do whatever you're gonna do don't uh -huh. worry about it. and even if you're live people will laugh with you you know <laughs> I was like, this guy doesn't get creative blocks ever. Like he's just rolling them and it's amazing. I'm telling you, creative lies are really, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> creative blocks are lies. I think, um, again, if you surround yourself by things that inspire you, you'll, you'll really have no creative blocks. Yeah. Mm, awesome. And how important do you think the balance between like being consistent and giving yourself time to like take breaks and stuff is because I definitely, during this pandemic, I was like, all right, let's go. Just putting out interviews, putting out interviews, just work, 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 work. And then it get, got to a point, like, later on, I was just like, whoa, I'm burnt out. Like, and I definitely didn't see it coming until I was just, like, really, really tired. And I, like, sat at the computer and I was like, I don't even want to do this. But how important is it for you to, like, stay consistent and then also find that self-care, like, balance? That's so funny you say that. I, so right now, my podcast is on pause. Uh, and I was, I wanted to start in mid-January. But the fact that I've stopped, the momentum is kind of like, let me just sit here a little bit longer, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because it's a lot of work, right? And you, I would rather produce quality than quantity. Um, but I really think it's important to surround yourself, to always, honestly, you know, I, I've been very privileged to be taught that you're always working. Even when you're lying in bed, kind of counting, you know, the spots in your ceiling, you're working. You know, that, that, that all those little numbers, those little shapes mean something that's going to come to you later. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really do think you have to trust when you're in this break. Like, I know that I'm going to do another podcast and it's going to be fine. 
I mean, I know that I'm going to reach out to someone and interview them. And it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Can't freak out in that in between. You know what I mean? You have yeah. to be comfortable there because trust yourself. You're driving the bus. Like you're going to be perfectly fine. For sure. Yeah, it is, it is hard sometimes to just be like, all right, if I take this break and then like a week passes, you're like, well, you know, maybe if I just take another break and it's like that can that that can really like, you know, snowball. But oh, yeah. also like if you're just working all the time and like you really are just focused on it, you might miss out on other things. And like it's real hard to dedicate enough time to the other things that are important in life and still like stay focused on like whatever you're creative in, in uh uh adventures are and stuff so that's well, always like an interesting balance well i think that's important what you're saying the other things in life right well take inventory of what those other things are like for me personally my one of the other things in life is my husband like so every time i'm doing something i want to see okay how can i include him how can you be part of that because i don't want to miss any time away or i don't want him out of the equation right so mm-hmm. it's like okay so travel husband uh whatever else shopping because i love to go to thrift shops and get books um i need to I, that needs to be part of the process mm-hmm. you know because then that's going to keep me wanting to keep moving wanting to keep making and making and making and it's not work it's just part of what we do as, as people <laughs> you know yeah no yeah that's that's where you know you found the balance where it's like you're not sick of the thing that you love because it's happened to me before where i'm like i love this i love doing this and i do it so much where i'm like now i hate it and we're like <laughs> right. oftentimes what really makes me start hating it is where you then involve the money where you're like trying to make money and for me that was making music I, it became this thing where i was like i gotta make it i gotta make it i gotta blow up i gotta make music from it and it became this thing where it was like no longer the art aspect of it it was just strictly trying to find that business like uh that lane like how do i make money from this how do i do this how do i promote myself more and like i really just ended up disliking making music for a while i was like i don't like doing this like it's too much pressure i'm not succeeding the way that i think and that's a question i've I've had for you is what are your metrics of success because i imagine for a lot of artists it's okay can i support myself just doing art full time that's where they think they're successful if they can make money off of it if they no longer have to have another side job like what are the metrics of success for you? So uh, that, that's a lot. Uh, so I, I, I implore you to keep making music. Um, <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It's just like, yeah, when when you fall into that, like, why aren't I making money from this? Why isn't it like going as fast as I envisioned it to be? It's real discouraging. Well, do you think if you made money from this, mm-hmm. would you still make music? That's interesting. It it was like when I was making music was when I was younger. I was like, I started when I was 18, like really 19, 20, 21. Around that time was when like we were doing shows in the city, like we were really recording and stuff. And it was also the time period where I had really no money. Like I was just working, you know, going through college, like I was really broke. So it was like more of a pressure to try and make it like succeed and make money. Whereas now if I did it where things are just different, I don't I don't see the person that I made music with uh, as much anymore. Uh, so now if I did it, it would be a completely different thing. But I think when I was younger and like I was 20 and I was like, you know, you got to blow up before you're like 20 this, before 22, before 23. And then it gets to an age where you're like, all right, I guess I'm not blowing up. <laughs> well, those are those metrics that you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, you know, 
for New Year's, I bought myself a subscription to uh, Masterclass, which mm-hmm. is kind of like this. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it on Instagram because their their ads are everywhere. Where yeah, you pay a subscription and you get access to, you know, really high achieving people. And the first one I took was a Jeff Koons class. And literally right before I came on this, they were um, they sent me a survey, uh, and about the class, and I, I you know I filled it out, and. Part of the thing that they were asking me is, you know, how did I feel about it? Was it relevant? Blah, 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 blah. Did it feel elitist? And I'm like, yes, because while he's very successful and he's great and he has great things to say, his success doesn't only, isn't only attributed to his artwork. He has these inherent privileges, right? He has a background in finance. He's a white man. He knows people in the art world. So if I, if my metrics are based on a Jeff Koons, I will never make it. Right. I learned that really quick when I was young because I, I worked in museums and I saw that the people whose art was on the wall there, I could never live up to those metrics. One, it wasn't a very healthy metric system because a lot of them had committed suicide. A lot of them had, you know, alcoholics. I, that's not who I wanted to be, you know, uh, but it's just not, um, it, it's not healthy to have metrics that, that are kind of like, okay, I want to be at the Whitney by, by 20. I mean, maybe, but they're not looking for you, you know? So as far as the money's concerned, I think that that's another big part, right? Then for a long time, I was like, well, I don't feel right if I'm not making money for my art. I don't want to teach. I don't want to wait tables. I don't want to, because I want, I'm an artist. I need to make money for my art. Mm-hmm. And that's a limitation that I put on myself. I could easily have been a teacher and be making a comfortable salary with, uh, with, like with life insurance, with insurance, health insurance, you know what I mean? But that was a limitation that I put on myself. And a lot of times I think that's what happens. We put our own limitations without realizing that I could be making music right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and really good. And be blowing up in my dad's radio. <laughs> but maybe that that's enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, for sure. And then, so that brings me to, to my next question is, I think a limitation some people might put on themselves is how important do you think going to art school is like is that a limitation people should have like oh man i didn't go to art school like i can't be like a professional artist no absolutely not like so i went to art school again because it was part of the metrics like i have to go to art schools people aren't going to consider me that i consider that i'm an artist but like i said i just took this master class right that put me in kind of face to face with jeff coons even though it's through the computer but i learned a bunch of stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise, right? And this goes back to the conversation about kind of having this limitation or, or, or learned helplessness, right? No, we have so much access to things right now. Like, start with collage. You wanna learn, you wanna make art? <laughs> Watch all of my videos. I There's just so much stuff that you can just uh, take from other artists who are going live, mm-hmm. things. Um, so I don't think uh, a degree is important, but what I do think is work. You have to, you have, if you want to be an artist, you have to make art, right? Yeah. If you want to be uh, an influencer, you have to create influence. Mm-hmm. And we do that by making art and talking to people. And then what advice would you give to like introverts? Because it sounds like networking is a big part of that, like really getting out there, which might be difficult for some people who are like, I'm not that social. Yeah, you know, that's really, a, that's a great question. And honestly, uh, you don't need to be anything but yourself. And all you need to find is an umbrella. I'm an umbrella. So I really believe in holding the door for people. And I really believe 
So this person that I met in in, in Mexico, uh, who is the, the the founder of La Casa Casa, you know, he had this amazing house that he turned into a cultural institution. Basically, he he had you know uh, chefs come in, he had artists, he had people living in in, in the hostel of upstairs, and all the people there were very bohemian. These ki- these artists were so bohemian, like they wouldn't be able to operate a hostel, a gallery, but he kind of held it together for them, mm-hmm. right? So there are certain people who kind of create environments for people. Like, for instance, I'm an artist. I don't have to be the gallery owner. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an artist. I don't have to be the promoter. I it's, it's become part of what I would want to do and what I like to do, but I didn't have to. There's other people who are willing to do that for you. And there's other people who are willing to kind of create that missing link, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really all you need to do. Open yourself up to where you can meet other people, but you don't necessarily have to be this like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like me, you know? But uh, but I think that's really important to, to have the will to share, not necessarily to be an extrovert, but have the mm-hmm. will to share. Because there's people out there who, who, who genuinely want to help other people, you know? And to open up. And even if that means just letting the art speak for you, like, you know, if somebody, if you go out somewhere, take your art with you, and then maybe that will spark a conversation and you're in your element. That's something where it's like, okay, maybe it's not as uncomfortable for you because you know what you're talking about when it comes to your art. So I think that's a, a very important tip. And another one is that like, you know, eventually you have to kind of think like an entrepreneur. And I think you were talking about that in one of your interviews with uh, headed up. I don't know who it was, but you were talking to someone about the mentality of, of being an entrepreneur as opposed to an artist, because you have to think about different things as an entrepreneur and it's, it's more business minded. Like, can you speak a little bit about that and what artists can do? Yeah. I mean, as artists, I think we have, if you can be a real estate agent, you can be a postman, but if you're an artist and a real estate agent, whoa, if you're an artist and a postman, whoa, you know, <laughs> we have like a third eye and if you feed your soul and become an artist and do other things and plug into these other skills that we can learn, I mean, we really are unstoppable because mm-hmm. we have an insight. Um, so I think if you open yourself up to being an entrepreneur and by entrepreneur, I mean, you know, don't let your artwork stay in your studio, open mm-hmm. the door and put it out there because that, that's what you're here for. Right. Um, and I think just taking tips from entrepreneurs really motivates you to want to share because it doesn't have to be capitalistically driven, you know what I mean? But it does help and there is some, I mean, every time I sell a collage, I'm like, I'm like, it's the first one, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. very validating, even though I, I, I pride myself, I'm like, I don't need validation, but let me tell you, every time I, I, I sell a collage, it, Feel feels, good. it feels amazing because not, yeah, only, yeah. not only does this person like my work, but they want to live with it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, wow. Um, and it only makes you stronger, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a good feeling. Like as much as, as I tell myself, don't look at numbers, don't look at views, don't look at this. Like if there's a day where like I get a lot of views, I'm like, woo, like I want to keep going. And then there are days where like I don't get any views or anything. And it's just like, oh man, why am I doing this? So like those, but those moments, seeing those, those good moments is definitely the motivation. And I always tell myself that like, not every day is going to be like that, but like really cherish those moments where it is like going like that. Well, I think it's also part of the hard work, right? If you put in the work, you'll see the difference. And if you put in the work, then you'll know that it's not personal, that a lot of it 
part of the entrepreneurial skill is learning how to pivot, right? So mm. I'm making a whole series of collages on, you know, these little yearbook men and nobody likes them. Nobody likes them. I love them and I can be like, okay, let me pivot. Let me, let me see what I can add to it. Let me see how I can stick to it closer, you know? Mm -hmm. And I must say one of the things that, that, that really keeps me going is that you can't expect to blow up when you were original. Right. People, people say they like original, but they don't. People mm. love the same thing, just in a different box or in a different bit of color. But mm. people are terrified of original. Mm. So if you think, oh, well, why isn't there, a, you know, a, a show of a, you know, of a gay Latino traveling the world, talking to artists, because it's never seen before. Mm. Right? Uh, and people and the way capitalism works is they're not going to do it unless they have a proven concept. Mm -hmm. So. If you're a trailblazer, just know that you are going to face some barriers, but it's your momentum, it's your it's what drives you, your mission, your why that'll it'll get you to the top. And even if that top is only finding five tribe people that that resonate with your work and, and you know take your work to the next level, I mean again, it goes back to what it, what what are your metrics, right? Mm. To me, it's like, okay, I want people to to connect with my work. I want it to lift people. I want it to teach people. Uh, I also want to see my work at Starbucks. I want to see my work at Target. You know what I mean? And they're totally different, but they're connected. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, having goals is, is huge. Like having something to look forward to and to work towards, like that is, is really, really important. And People should do it throughout the year. They shouldn't just have New Year's resolutions and don't wait till the end of the year to say, you know, next year I want to do this. Like goals are super important. Even if you just write them down and, and sit there and think about how do I get to that goal? Like it'll move you closer because you'll start thinking about it more constantly. Okay, this was my goal. Like, how do I get there? I'm not going to just leap all the way there, but you're going to take baby steps. And the more you think about it, the better it is. And something that you've told me in the past is that you don't think, I think you even mentioned it earlier in this interview about New York not being that great for, for artists. And why do you think that is? Oh my God. I mean, look around. <laughs> I have apps. I mean, I think this is also one thing that, that, that gets us into trouble as, as POCs, right? We're very, we, we can become very territorial about, oh, I'm repping LA or I'm repping uh, Brooklyn and we become very limited. So limited that we get stuck in a relationship that that's not positive, in a relationship that can be abusive. I really think that New York City, as a city, is a very abusive city. You know, the fact that we're exposed to violence and uh, empty storefronts and very expensive neighborhoods, and and not even good neighborhoods, even bad neighborhoods have very expensive real estate that you can't flourish. You know, there's no reason why a person can't open a flower shop, a a, a cafe when there's so much space. So if I right now said, okay, I want to do a show like I did in Mexico, it's so much harder to do it here in my own city because I live in New York. Mm -hmm. Because I have to be somebody, I need the money, I need the backing, I need so much. To, I need to prove myself so much more and I need to hustle. No, I, I don't I don't think that's right. I really feel that artists need to be need to have that peace of mind because it, it goes back to that struggle mentality and that uh learned helplessness right oh if i'm happy i can't be a good artist that's, mm -hmm. that's a lie you know mm -hmm. so it's kind of like I, I i think there are other places other contexts where 
you can sit there and really count the stars. Like mm -hmm. that's important. Like you really need your downtime, like you were saying, you know, to really, okay, what's the next thing I want to do? Mm -hmm. There's no way you can hear your higher vision, your higher voice with all this fear and anxiety that we, that we experience every day. Mm. That's a really interesting perspective of, of it. And, and it's definitely something I never thought of because I've never been at that stage where I like to have your own art show is more difficult here than it is in a, in a different country. And that that's insane. But like I, I've discussed this before with Angie. We've talked about this. How here do you think that like because people obviously have a, a, a higher standard of living here, it's a, a um, a superpower country or whatever and New York City is such a tourist spot people have that money to buy art off the street whereas I don't know you could tell me the difference maybe in Mexico City if it's the same or uh, a place that's comparable to New York City do you see people buying art off the street like that because I think that's definitely one thing where here you could set up a table on the side of the street and then you can sell art and because people have the opportunities and they have the money to, to just spare it they can actually afford to buy it whereas in other countries people might not have that money to spare it's it's either make the choice between buying art and buying groceries right yes and no so a really important thing you said quality of life mm -hmm. and until you leave you realize oh my god we have no quality of life mm -hmm. and it's and it's shocking it really is um to have a room where you can fit your your bed and a desk and a window mm -hmm. with sunlight and air that's quality of life that is so expensive and hard to come by in a place like new york city yeah you know? so i think um quality of life is a huge eye-opener when you leave this country and you realize oh my god i can have so much more for so much less mm. and brainwashed to think that this is it you know mm. like, this is as good as it gets let me tell you this is not as good as it gets mm. you know? i mean i'm here so I, Obviously, I'm something holding me here, right? And honestly, dollars, you know, yeah. well, dollars still go a very long way. So I need the, the American dollar uh, to be able to to have a, a good quality of life anywhere else right now. I don't know if that's always going to be the case with the way we're going, but uh, but I, New York, like like Mexico City, all of these cosmopolitan places, are very touristy. So people travel or usually travel and go there. So yeah, it's easier to, to want to take away something from there, right? If I see someone selling collage on the street, yeah, I'll stop because it's a touristy place and, and people want to spend money and take a souvenir, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it gets, I feel like it gets harder and harder in New York because um, we'll just look around, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, and that's fine. I mean, so I had a friend from Canada that, that we were friends on Instagram. She came and she had a, a show at a little gallery in, in Bed-Stuy uh, before the pandemic. And she put up a, a collage, a painting, and she put on her resume and she was above the, you know, she was over the moon. And yeah, okay, that that goal. <laughs> in a New York gallery, done, did yeah, it. Yeah, that's the success metric for her. And that's perfect, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? But if but someone else might say like, well, that's not enough. I want it in Chelsea. I want mm -hmm. it in the Blue Chip Gallery. I want it in Midtown. So, you know, it's again, it goes back to these metrics. Like, okay, what's, what's gonna make you happy and tick your boxes, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is that also sometimes we don't know that those those boxes, we can go higher or mm -hmm. they're just not placed because we don't know better, right? We don't know what we don't know. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And with this pandemic and hopefully things starting to go in the, the right direction this year, hopefully New York City takes a, uh, a moment to reflect and to say, okay, what is it that is good about this city? A lot of people left, a lot of people obviously who could afford to leave, who might have homes in different states, they left. So the people that are really, really here are like real New Yorkers who are like, this is it. We don't have no second home, we're here. So what do you think can be done to, to help artists so that they're not left behind? Because I'm sure that this pandemic has been extremely hard on artists like who haven't been able to be in person selling their, their uh, art on the streets and stuff because there's no tourism and they might just be out on the streets and nobody's there. So what do you think the city could do to to improve for artists? Hopefully this is like a moment where we can pivot. I don't think it's a citywide thing, honestly. Just like it's not a state thing, just like it's not a whole country thing. We're too big to, to, to think like that right now. Mm -hmm. I really think it's a local thing. I really think, and I saw this on a meme and I'm sure you've seen it on Instagram, you know, where it says, if I have a friend who's a barber, that's where I'm getting my haircut. If I have a friend who is a lawyer, that's where I'm going to get my advice. If I have a friend who's an artist, that's where I'm buying my artwork. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask for a discount. I'm paying full price, if not more, to support these people because these are my, this is my community. You know, mm. that's the only way we're going to get out of this. You know, mm. half of the real estate in, in our neighborhoods are not owned by locals. They're owned by people who live somewhere else who have no vested interest in the community. Mm. Yeah. Um, so if, if, you know, if you have a house, and, and you can rent, uh, you know, the first floor for a gallery at, at, at something that, that is feasible for you as a, as a landlord and for an artist who wants to put something together and go for it. You know, I think we're I think New York City has false metrics as well. They think they're up here when really we're down here because no one else can reach this right here. You know, so mm. there definitely has to be an adjustment that, that's going to take place, uh, whether we like it or not. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I really think it's local. I think by supporting people like you, you know, by supporting people like me, that we're, we're doing something in real time. Mm. Hey, well, we need to, we need to do more events like that because I agree and it would be great. And I thought that meme that you were mentioning was going to have like some punchline where it was like, I'm not buying from my friends because like, I thought it was going to be like for everything else you go to your friends, but then when it comes to art, you never support them because unfortunately I got friends like that who I don't know if they, they support the podcast. They might support it, but they just don't watch it. So, and I, and that's always like a shame to me. I'm like, I don't understand how I, I have these supporters. that are strangers from different countries who never met me. And then my own friends would rather like watch like Netflix when it's time to like watch an interview. Like that always kills me. And it's like, damn. And well, you know it is, I, you know, I, I was reading uh, this book by Seth Godin that someone recommended. I read a lot. And, um, and it said, you know, when you create something, it's like baking a cake. Mm -hmm. Right. And I thought, so you bake the cake and you leave it in the kitchen and then you get angry because no one came to eat it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like when we make art, when you make a product like this, an interview, mm -hmm. you're making it and you're like, but wait, where, why aren't people here? You're like, oh, wait, I didn't send the invitations. I didn't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you no have to send like an engraved invitation yeah. person. Cake is here. Come eat it. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to do the same thing with, with your interviews. I have to do the same thing with like everything that I do because we really, really, we're competing with so much distraction and anxiety. You know what I mean? The people are scared to like not have the control, you know? So you really need to like make it as accessible to people by like, okay, here's the one button you have to press. <laughs> 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 
yeah, yeah, and and that's that's a lesson that I've really taken to heart. And yeah. part and part of that is learning how to be shameless. Like, hey, I'm making something. Come see it. Come taste. Yeah. It. You know yeah. what I mean? Like shamelessly. You, know? you really do have to learn that because um, yeah, I, to this day I feel bad sometimes. I'm like, oh, should I message them this link? Should I say anything? Well, we haven't talked in like months. It would be weird if the first thing that I say is send them like, do you want to watch my podcast? And that gets in my head. But you really just have to like send it to everyone and send it multiple times. And like you said, like literally give it to them on a platter. Like this is the time where you watch this because if not, they don't. And that's the shame where it's like, I used to get really uptight about it. Like, man, why is nobody, my friends not supporting me? I don't understand this. What the hell? And then I was just like, you know what? Like, what am I going to do? Like they're, they got their own lives. If they choose not to, then like, it is what it is. I can't do, you can't just like get hung up on it. And there's another great meme that I've seen a lot recently where it's like, when you water your plants, like you don't constantly take them out to see if they're growing. You let them nurture and then you let them like just grow. You don't just constantly keep uprooting it and checking like, is this thing growing yet? I don't know. I feel kind of shitty about this and throw it out. Like you don't do that for anything else. So don't do it for art. Exactly. And I mean, and honestly, you just have to keep growing until they have absolutely no other opportunity than to like mm. want to move you because you're watching their son or their tv you know mm. uh which i think is, is what we do you know we just keep doing and making hey and that brings me to one of my final questions so it was asked uh, a couple times on the youtube in the comments where people i think they were collage artists or maybe they wanted to be collage artists and they had questions about copyright issues and when it comes to that and like i guess fair fair use and if you're clipping things out for magazines like at what point does it become your own your own piece of artwork that's trans, uh, transformative and it's not anything like it or like the copyright stuff is a little confusing like i made it a, a point to, to research it beforehand because there was people asking about it but it's like a tough thing like there are lawyers on there who are like it's pretty complicated and like it, it's hard to distinguish what is under fair use and what determines like it's your own artwork what do you ever like worry about that stuff i don't know so here's the thing i think if you're an artist making something for yourself don't worry about that right now just make sometimes you have to get to through the like i was saying you have to get through the ugly to get to the good and maybe this is going to be part of it right mm -hmm. personally in my work um i always make sure to not make it obvious right and and there's like a ratio that personally i go i, I only use about 40 percent of anything that i that i use right so 60 percent is what makes it a whole other you know what i mean so for instance i have this collage right here right this has i don't know one two that's three elements mm -hmm. right so it has a, this man in the background and then it has this landscape and then it has the oranges mm -hmm. uh this is a, a an old picture this is a person you can't see their face so is this an original am i getting a, a pretty normal exclusive right now yes you are oh damn <laughs> made with my uh paper valentine's collage kit on sale Ooh, plug that in plug that in <laughs> you gotta plug it in like we were saying i'm saying so it's it's not obvious you know i'm not taking a picture of which is really interesting too because i think if i made a painting in marilyn monroe and you know, did her hair in a different color, that would be enough, right? Mm -hmm. The collage, because it's a photograph, I think it's just about making it your own as much as you can. And that's such a great, um, that is such a great prompt, right? Take an image, make it your own as much as you can. I mean, why would you take a picture of, you know, Picasso and just draw a mustache? Mm -hmm. Actually, that sounds really cool. But still, <laughs> I think, I think you, you really shouldn't let it 
get in your head because then you're going to feel limited to, to be creative. So I would just go at it as hard as possible to make it your own. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I think like collaging is very similar to sampling in music. And yes. like, I know a lot of people always have questions about that. And I think people really do have to understand, like, unless you're making a huge amount of profit where like the original person whose work it was like now notices you and is like, Hey, you're cutting into my money. Like, you're not going to get sued. Like nobody's trying to do that to you. So like definitely just think about creating at first and don't let all the legalities or whatever, like complicate it. Absolutely. You know, it's really funny. When I was nine, I, I uh, an album came out and I might've mentioned this to you, uh, Enigma 1990. And it's literally the first album that sampled, well, it wasn't the first, but it was one of the first albums that completely sampled from beginning to end. And it, magic it's like gregorian chant with like um new like new jazz hip-hop i mean it's, it's crazy uh that sounds crazy very spiritual very beautiful and they got so big and they got so sued <laughs> they created a dialogue of okay, well how does this work you know because um no one cared about gregorian chant until they used it you know what exactly, i mean yeah i think it creates dialogue and creating dialogue is, is perfectly great and if you get sued it doesn't matter if you're making tons of money but mm. don't get sued and just make it your own and, and let it flow you know right those are like good problems to have like if you're at the point where you've made enough attention and money to get sued by the person whose original work it is like that's a good problem you're pretty big and no publicity is bad at that point like just you might have to pay something out but you've gotten the publicity and you're at a level of exposure where you'll be fine and like that that's really a tricky thing i think more and more now with the internet because people share people curate or whatever where they'll share somebody else's work and it's like well at what point is is curating not like stealing copyright infringement like it, it gets really confusing with just like the amount of of sharing and transactions that happens on the internet yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think there is there is definitely a bylaw that says that you can share anything for educational purposes. Right? Mm -hmm. So right now we're going to do a, a slide on, on, you know, the history of Coca-Cola. Like we can do that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a problem when we start selling the, the, the prints or I don't know, some, you know what I mean? But if it's educational, if it's if it's not infringing on if you're not making if we're not making a soft drink with it, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, I think it. it you can't be lazy. You can't just take an image of Marilyn Monroe and, and, you know, add a mustache to her and be like, oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> your own, you know, really, really make it your own. And, and I think if you are involved in your work, that will never be an issue. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, Luis, it's been a pleasure as always. This is an amazing conversation. Please let everybody know where they can find your work. Plug in your Valentine's Day uh, kit because that's coming up. Please just tell the the people what you you've been up to. Awesome. So I am at Art Engineer on Instagram, and I kind of live on Instagram. Um, it's very fun. Uh, I'm having a workshop, a collage workshop for Valentine's called uh, Paper Valentine's. So what's going on is I'm selling these kits with all of this uh, naughty material, not pornographic, but you know, just naughty fun. And we're gonna spend an hour together collaging. So you can pick that up at collagedream.com, and um, and my website luismartinart.com has. Uh, basically all the information you need about me but uh but yeah and i'm i'm on instagram <laughs> hey and it is always great to see your work come up on instagram definitely uh, a must follow if you are on instagram because yeah. it's great to see that stuff and like like i said the motivation like just to see you every time go to that desk and come out with something is like i'm like damn 
I, I got to step my shit up because when I go to the computer sometimes or I'm cutting, I might just be like, well, nope, not this time. Didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like it never happens for you, but that's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, to anybody who's listening, this will be up on YouTube, Facebook, and in a couple of days, I will upload the audio. So it's on all podcast streaming platforms. Amazing. You're so amazing. That's crazy. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, I, I wanted to like, that was a big thing for me this year. I was like, I need to take the show live and I need to like, just have it be more engaging with people. And that is something that I'm going to keep trying to do. I mean, you're doing a great job. And I, like I said, every time I see you, you're always upping up a level and that's fantastic. Oh man. It's so important that you're doing this and you know, there, there really needs to be your voice out there because hey. you know, you have things to say. Hey, it's Pleasure as always. You always motivate me. Blessed to be uh, surrounded by those that influence me, man. Thank you so much and have a good night. Have a good one, man. Hey, peace. Thank you to everyone who supports the show and has shared the show with a friend or a loved one. A special thank you to our guest, Luis, for coming on the show. If you haven't already, make sure you check out the show notes to connect with him and listen to all of his content. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at A Pretty Normal and subscribe on YouTube. Once again, thank you for listening. My name is Xavier Diaz, and this was A Pretty Normal Podcast.